Welcome to show number three of Film Matters, the podcast where we discuss films in light of faith. We believe that the stories we tell can teach us about our relationships with God and with each other. I'm Jason Weedle. On today's show, Chris Williams and I discuss The Last Temptation of Christ. Today we're talking about The Last Temptation of Christ, the 1988 movie, and I'm here with Chris Williams of It's My Favorite Podcast and Chrisicisms.com. Thanks for being here, Chris. Thanks for having me. Uh, glad to be back and excited to talk about this. Yeah, hopefully we got some some good stuff to talk about. This film is... Um, stirred up a lot of controversy over the years, and probably for most people, the controversy has been dialed back, but it's still one that is somewhat polarizing. And so we're going to look at some of the, the controversy and maybe some of what we can see and understand and the, the good parts of it as well. So just a, a kind of a general impressions. What did you think, Chris? Um, it's, it's definitely a movie worth talking about. Uh, this is a movie that I find, even the first time I saw it, um, I, the first time I saw it, I remember I had to take a two hour walk. This was about 10 years ago. I had to take a two hour walk and just reflect over everything and question everything because there's so much in there that goes against the traditional Christ story. This is not, yeah, it states right at front that it's not a adaptation of the gospels, but of Nikos Kazantzakis's book. So I remember wrestling with that. I, I grew up very, very strict Baptist and um, still would probably classify myself as more theologically conservative. Um, and even watching it again, I find that there are things in this movie that narratively I watch it and I'm like, that's not that's not Jesus in the Bible. That that go that's very dangerous for for me to think about. That's not what I agree Christ was like. And then there are other things where I'm like, this is the best movie about Jesus ever made. This is the first time. I feel like he's a real person, that he is, you know, not just being depicted as God, but also, you know, as man. And so it's a movie that's definitely, I wrestle with it. I go back and forth in it. Um, even this week, I've gone on several walks thinking about this conversation we were going to have. And I still, you know, I, I still come down on, well, there's this, this troubles me, but this is so good. And I find myself so moved. And I come down on the side that, if it's getting me thinking about more about who Christ was, uh, even if there's things in there that I think are very problematic, I'm thankful to have seen this movie because there are other things it's getting me to think about that I think are very biblical and very right that I think really help us understand the Christ story more and his life even more and appreciate sure. it more. Yeah. I guess the the first time I saw it was, I think, just a couple of years ago. And in some times where I was looking at, um, you know, our theology and ideas about Jesus in more critical ways than I had in the past. And so some of it was quite refreshing to see. And I had to really say, is this something that is is good and can challenge me or... Um, is it something that I should just reject? And I, I really found value in a lot of it. And uh, having not really been familiar with it, I, you know, coming to the end of the film, uh, you know, I, I think just uh, makes it 
redeems the whole thing, even though there's still parts that are kind of problematic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I know we talked about this a little beforehand, but do you remember much of the controversy? We were probably both pretty young at that point. Uh, but when it came out, do you remember the controversy around it? I really don't. I, I really don't remember it at the time. Um, I think I remember hearing a little bit just about this was not a good movie because Jesus sleeps with Mary Magdalene. And so I, you almost assume the last temptation of Christ. Oh, the temptation is Jesus is tempted by lust. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or that's right, I, I right. guess the circles that I was in, that was the assumption. Well, I remember we um, we went to a, a very strict Baptist church at that time, and I remember sitting at home and my mom bringing the mail in, and our church had sent her a letter. I sent out a letter to all members basically saying, this movie is out. It contains a scene that shows Jesus sleeping with Mary Magdalene. Uh, it is not you know, aligning with the gospel that we know. It tells a different story. We need to boycott this movie. We need to avoid this movie. We need to pray against this movie. And I very vividly remember my mom sitting me down on the couch and just begging me, don't go see this movie, Chris. Just don't go see this movie. And, you know, I'm eight years old at that point. So the last thing I'm really interested in is an R-rated Martin Scorsese movie about the duality of Christ. Um, You know, I wanted Ghostbusters. I wanted Care Bears. And, you know, I wasn't going to go see it, but I just – exactly. Yeah, I did – you know – so, and I remember a theater near us. Once the movie started playing, uh, the projector caught fire, and they had to stop a showing. And I remember my mom seeing that as like, you know, victory. God was on our side and stopping this movie. And what's funny is I've always looked back and thought, you know, even before I saw The Last Temptation of Christ, it was such a formative movie for me. You know, even twenty years before I would sit and watch it, because it was probably the first time I I really thought about the idea that. Movies could be dangerous or, you know, people could see movies and be offended and angered and it could go contrary to their beliefs. I mean, up until that point, movies were fun and entertaining, but it was the first time that I had this concept in my head of, quote unquote, bad movies. And uh, it actually, I think, scared me off the movie until I was about 25 and I rented it with a youth pastor friend of mine and we got about halfway into or half hour into the movie turned it off and it was another two years before I could finally sit and you know watch it on its own terms and engage with the movie um, yeah. so it was definitely definitely a bigger hurdle for me to overcome and I'm glad I finally did because I do think there is you know we can talk about the problematic things we can talk about the good things but it is absolutely a movie that I think you know provokes questions which a lot of you know biblical movies and quote-unquote Christian movies, don't do. They they don't want you to ask questions. And this, you know, calls you into your deepest beliefs and asks you to ask questions about them. Yeah, just as you were talking, I, I thought of, you know, talking about film and art that provokes. Yeah, I thought of this, this story of the, the Rite of Spring musical piece that was, I think, the whole thing is in Paris where it was premiered in the 1800s and caused a riot and because it was so unconventional. And, uh, you know, for us now, mo- listening to music, especially classical music, is just a relaxing and tame thing to do. But um, it seems like there should be something in 
artistic presentations that are at least able to provoke something in us, even if they don't always. Well, that should be the, I would, I would argue that should be the point of art is to draw, you know, I'm not a big believer that movies should give us answers. I think movies should provoke questions. You know, they, they shouldn't make a definitive statement that this is the way the world is and this is your answer and leave and apply it. It's, it's all about encouraging those conversations in the lobby. What did you think of this? Well, what did you think when they framed yeah. it this way? What did, you know, the problem is I don't, I don't think Christian culture is always comfortable with that. Sure. Um, we, we want our art to be evangelical. So a story about Jesus better be, you know, a movie that's going to tell about his birth, death, and resurrection, exactly as we see it in the Gospels, line up with everything we know, and get to the point where people are coming down the aisle to the front of the theater to pray, um, and, you know, not not cause too much of a fuss. Um, sure. You know, and not, not ask e- us to... And, and not only seeing Jesus as we see him in the Gospels, but confirming our worldview Uh, yeah 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 exactly and i I mean the whole thing about jesus is he he does he's not pegged in he's he's dangerous and he asks you to you know confront all your assumptions and all your you know all your misconceptions about him and he also he also offends i mean jesus was an offensive person and Many movies don't show this, and they they give us you know they err on the side of a you know stoic Jesus who is aloof, and probably err too much you know too much on the side of his deity at the expense of his humanity. I think the problems that I have with Last Temptation is they they might switch the balance a little too far to the other side. He's a little too human. Sure. But uh, but you know it, Jesus is someone who provokes deep thoughts and you know offends and often gets us in situations where we're questioning our assumptions because that's how we know him more. Yeah. Just to kind of remind or talk to or remind us all of some of those um, controversies that did go on around the release of this film, you know, we don't completely remember it and probably a lot of our listeners don't completely remember what was going on. Um, But there was a good amount of, Controversy calls for boycotts from both the Catholic Church as well as kind of the evangelical religious right world, and then also uh, you know there were there were countries I don't remember all the specifics, but there were places that the movie was actually banned for years um, mm-hmm. following its release, and that's that seems pretty um, outrageous maybe to us now, but. Um, was a pretty pretty serious thing as it was released there was one um theater that was actually burned um by protesters protesting the the showing of the film um so it was something that not churches weren't just sending letters to their congregations about but a lot of people were very concerned about it i reading a um christianity today article that was written actually just a few years ago they called it the tipping point in the american culture wars and uh i don't know if i would quite say that but (laughs) 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 you know it shows how seriously the the film was viewed oh yeah yeah i mean and 
Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Do you have Do you have any? Um, you know, as you're looking at it, were there any other things that that stuck out to you just about the time? Um, not so much about the time, but about I think the context. Whenever you you make a movie about Jesus, it, it, they usually cause some controversy. I mean, just think ten years ago, Mel Gibson's you know, The Passion of the Christ was hugely controversial, and I think you're also going to run into the trouble that people want their Jesus movies to be you know perfect and flawless. But I think there's this idea if we're tackling, you know, Christ and the idea of, you know, his duality and his human nature and his divine nature, we're looking at things through a glass darkly. We are always in every Jesus movie going to get something wrong. Um, So I think, you know, every every movie that comes out about Christ, people are looking at saying, what do they get wrong? What do they get wrong? What do they get wrong? Not realizing all of these movies are going to get something wrong. Sure. But let's take a look and we see, you know, what are they saying that's good? I mean, my favorite Jesus movie is Jesus Christ Superstar, which is not orthodox. (laughs) You know, it's a cheesy rock opera. And I love it because I think there's this subject of who was Christ and how did people respond to him? And I think that, you know, that bears itself out in a movie that takes some liberties. But overall, I think it, it has good intentions. It's telling the story and finding something interesting to say in these Bible stories. I can always go back to the Bible and read the Christ story. I can always go to church and I can see an Easter play. I know that story. What I want is for art to, to draw me closer and say, well, have you thought about this about Christ? And, you know, I think Last Temptation does that. And, you know, going into it, I think the question is about whether it's worth even approaching for engagement comes down to intention on the filmmaker's part. You know, I, I don't think that Martin Scorsese and Paul Schrader, the screenwriter, we're flipping a middle finger to the church. Right. Um, Martin Scorsese is a very devout Catholic, and ideas of guilt and shame are in every one of his movies, particularly the movies he's done where he's collaborated with Schrader, who grew up very strict Calvinist. Um, so their movies always are dealing with these themes of redemption and guilt and shame. And I think when you approach this movie, it's not two people wanting to be flippant. You can feel them wrestling in every frame of this movie with the concepts and what they want to say. And it's a subject I think they treat very seriously. They take Christ very seriously. But I think they do it in a way where they're they're asking hard questions. And I think that's when we bristle is, you know, they're asking hard questions. Nope, nope. We just want you to tell us about Jesus instead of really engaging who was Christ. What do I believe about him? What are the implications of that? Yeah. As I was kind of looking at the the big scope of the film and what it – is it really blasphemous? How much does it contradict uh, orthodox theology? The, the essentials of what Christianity teaches, the, the – traditional creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, they really go through these, almost these bullet points that are never contradicted in the film. And I thought that was very interesting. Um, The Last Temptation of Christ certainly does present Jesus in some ways that probably a lot of us as Christians would have a problem with. But the essentials of... Jesus being the Son of God, Jesus' death and resurrection are really still affirmed in it, and I thought that was that was pretty interesting. 
Yeah, I think there's a lot that it does right, particularly, I think, in its last two, two and a half hours. Um, the first half hour is where I find I, I find it departs from you know, orthodoxy quite a bit. Um, and it's, it's because there's this idea that they launch from in the story um, that I, I believe is probably in the book, in Kazantzakis' book, which is we're introduced to Christ before his ministry starts. Um, and he doesn't really understand what's going on at that point, which I don't know when, you know, if Christ always knew what was going on, um, what his role was, or if there was a moment where he put it together. I mean, Hebrews does say he, you know, he learned obedience. And so that could be something he that was revealed to him gradually. But there are scenes in the start of the movie where he's angry and fearful at God. And those are the scenes that kind of put me on edge a little bit. Um you know, the whole idea in the Trinity is that the Father and the Son have joy together, and they they have this perfect love for each other. And there are scenes where Jesus is saying he wants God to hate him. He makes crosses for the Romans when we meet him because he wants God to hate him and just leave him alone. Um, and I don't, you know, I, I think that's definitely biblically wrong. But at the same time, if we don't know, you know, the specifics of when everything was revealed to Christ— I, I, do we know if he was confused? And maybe this was part of his confusion. Is it a legitimate, you know, artistic leap to take in order to humanize Christ? Um, so I, I have kind of trouble there. Uh, there's also a sequence where he visits Mary Magdalene early on um, at the uh, the brothel, or it's at a temple, and he's watching her as she's engaging in sex. And there's a look on his face that I don't know if he's ashamed for her or if he's ashamed of himself. And he talks about having to be forgiven of sins throughout the movie, which doesn't line up with the idea that Christ was sinless. Um, now, there's a point about a half hour in where, you know, his doubts kind of are settled a bit, and he knows, you know, he makes peace with who who he believes God is calling him to be. Um, and then throughout the movie, it's the more traditional narrative until, like, the last 20 minutes – in which case, I think, yeah, it lines up really well with Scripture, um, where he's very confident in his position, and then gets to the point where he just, you know, it's not he's being called by God. He flat out says, "I am God." Yeah. Um, but I think in those first thirty minutes are where where I have the biggest issues, where I feel theologically it kind of is on kind of shaky ground. I think, uh, you know, I, I would even go to say those those areas I would consider, you know, kind of heretical or blasphemous. Uh, they they bother me. Um, but I also think they have the dramatic effect of humanizing Christ to the point where we, un, you know, I, I think Scorsese and Schrader are writing themselves into the role. They're tackling their own sure. doubt. They're tackling their their own, you know, struggles as they dedicate themselves to God or or fail to. Um, Scorsese was plagued by a lot of guilt, and um, you know, I think they're they're probably going a little bit in, more in the direction of uh, making Christ like them than I would be comfortable with, but I understand what they're doing. Yeah, and even with the disclaimer at the beginning saying this is not based on the Gospels, in all honesty, it is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, exactly. But, it's an adaptation, yeah. Yeah, but the story that's being told is not – It's the intention of the story is not necessarily to tell the story of Jesus – but it's kind of to tell the story of all of us, um, right. to tell the story of this struggle, and to use Jesus, at, the story of Jesus, 
as the setting, as the symbol, which that might be a bit problematic. I'm not I'm not completely sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's definitely a movie that, you know, there's some trepidation, you know, when I recommend it to people. There's a lot of people, I'm like, I don't know if I'd recommend this. Um, you have to be willing to, to understand that there are things in there you're just going to flat out disagree with. Yeah. Um, but then I think there's other things that are really good, and if you go in there with a discerning mind, you're able to compare. You know, I, I think it. there's a lot of stuff later on that I think is really great, like really great things. And I do think the first half hour is really interesting too, in that it does set up some interesting things. Um, you know, his the movie kind of posits that he had, you know, not a sexual relationship with Mary Magdalene earlier in his life, but a deep friendship. And maybe she had feelings for him and a crush, and he, you know, put that aside so he could follow God. And you know what it did to her the life she chose as a result of that but then this theme of temptation that came comes up throughout the movie which is you know not for for jesus to rebel against god and you know set up his own kingdom but just to have a normal life which is this motif that comes up over and over which is you know why do i have to do god's will can't i just have my normal life which Mm -hmm. goes back to your point that's what we all struggle with why why do I have to give this up and sacrifice this to follow God? I want to just have my nice, comfortable life. I don't want to be bad. I just want to be comfortable and happy. Yeah. I, th- I think at the beginning, and and really throughout, the thing that is is kind of uncomfortable about Jesus, this idea that he talks about his own sin throughout, and for most Christian traditions, we accept Jesus as sinless. Um, it is interesting though, that toward the beginning, the point is made that he hasn't really done anything terribly wrong. <laughs> he he says something about not, ha- not stealing or killing or, you know, the big obvious external sins, but it, it seems to be that what he is so concerned about is his own fear and his own doubt and his own anger. Um, which is pretty interesting. And it made me think throughout a lot of it um, about some of those things that you sort of mentioned. When does Jesus come to the realization of his own divinity? And I think that that has been sort of a, a discussion of, of theologians and scholars. Um, and it's kind of a difficult question because does Jesus know he's God as a baby, as a child? as a 20-year-old, a 30-year-old, when he's baptized by John the Baptist? Is it a slow realization? Is it a sudden realization? And I, I think that there is certainly something in this this movie that addresses that um, and makes us really kind of wrestle with that because I, I think that's something that's valuable to think about. But then also... You know, when we're, we're talking about kind of Jesus' own struggles, I, I think we also kind of think, what did Jesus, as he grew, what did he have to go through? Because, I mean, there are one or two verses in the New Testament that kind of address Jesus' growth as a child, and we often have this, we almost always have this very sanitized romantic view of Jesus that he was just the perfect child but what does it mean for Jesus to grow in wisdom um what does it mean for him to grow in obedience uh 
does it mean that he made mistakes and offended people sometimes? Does it mean he got angry in ways he should not have gotten angry and he learned not to do that? I think those are those are kind of difficult questions that we don't always think about as well. Yeah, no, I think that – and that's a great point because, you know, we do. We're given the glimpse of him as a child preaching in the temple. But, you know, we're not given much more. Um, and, you know, there's, of course, the, the verse in Silent Night – or no, Away in a Manger where it's little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes, which, yeah. you know, I, I have two kids. No kid is like that. <laughs> they, you know, they all cry. Um but yeah, I mean, did did he say things that were taken the wrong way? And then you bring up a good point too. We don't see him committing sins. We have him, you know, saying he feels like he's committed sins or he feels like he needs to ask for forgiveness. But there's this idea. I, I've heard people say this about Christ. I mean, if he isn't telling the truth about being God, then he's a bad man. He's a liar at that point. So he's either god or a bad man and if if he didn't know right away everything that was going on if it you know does he wrestle with this does he wrestle with the fact that sometimes he's extremely close to god and you know there are times throughout that first half hour where he's talking about how close he feels to god and he just wants to follow god but then he wrestles with that doubt and does that manifest itself in this movie with him you know not sinning but questioning what he is doing, you know, um, it's it's very presumptuous to say you're God, and I, I think you know the Christ in this movie realizes that, and it's something he wants to be sure of because if not, he's you know he, he could be looked at as he's crazy, and I, I think they show that throughout the movies. People look at him like he's crazy, and I think that's where Willem Dafoe is really fantastic here. By the way, is just he has that intensity that is just really captures the anguish he's feeling in so many minutes moments and then other moments where it's just so much peace just washes over him it's a great performance yeah you know i i think we we can sound a bit like apologists for this kind of portrayal of jesus and i i guess i have to say that i there is still some of it that is a problem a problem mm-hmm. oh yeah for me and you know i think that there is there is this characterization of jesus throughout that Maybe he's a little bit crazy, or maybe he feels a little bit crazy. Maybe, maybe there's, you, you know, that he's struggling throughout. Does he really hear God? And and you know, he's it's almost this schizophrenia thing where he isn't sure if he's crazy, and he hears things and he knows things that he's not sure. And you know, even as he's accepting that he has some kind of call on his life. It's still, uh, he's still rather manic about it and about the way he chooses to go about uh, whatever he thinks God has called him to. You know, I, I don't know what, if you can make this film that really sees Jesus in a different way without offending our uh, idea of Jesus. Maybe you can't. <laughs> Um, I don't know that you can, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Roger Ebert wrote some I – mean, if if anyone has access to his book about Scorsese, um, he has three really good essays he did on the movie, and he struggles with this movie. Uh, he also – you know, a lot like Scorsese, grew up Catholic. He ended up becoming more of an agnostic, but um, you know, he struggles with this question of is the movie – you know, he calls it technically blasphemous. 
um, and actually uh, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of his name, but uh, Stephen Gradenas at uh, the National Catholic Register has a fantastic article breaking down his problems with this movie, um, which go into some of the things you know we've talked about, which is you know a Jesus who's who believes he's committed sin. I mean, just the idea that Jesus would believe he committed sin can be a theme theological problem because you know christ was you know was without sin and we i i feel like i'm I'm getting a little you know it's it's a tightrope to walk but i I feel like he would be sure that even though even if there's doubt even if there's fear he would be he would be close enough with the father to know you know he's blameless in these areas uh and, and so that doesn't quite line up with scripture to me um there, there's treatment of uh, his mother Mary later in the movie. Uh, there's the scene in the Bible, of course, where his family comes to call him home, and you know your mother and your father, your your mother and your brothers are calling for you. And Jesus, you know, addresses Mary. Well, who's my mother? And in this movie, it's almost too harsh uh, to the point of almost being disrespectful to his mother. Um, he basically dismisses her at one point, and it almost seems like he truly doesn't know who she is. And that that's another thing where you know I, I it's, it's hard to reconcile with the view of Christ that I I know in Scripture. You know, um, and then as when I when I watched that piece, I, I actually thought it was handled well. I always felt like it was harsh, no matter how you do it. <laughs> I always thought it was harsh just reading it in the Bible. So uh, I liked that part in the movie. I, I liked what was, <laughs> how it was done. Yeah, it made me a little uncomfortable. Um, but I, I mean, you know, like we said, there's there's things in the movies that in the movie that do. Um, I think the whole relationship with Judas, where basically Judas is the good guy here because Christ, you know, can't just turn himself in; he needs Judas to do it. I I, I have problems with that, at, you know, compared to what I read in the Bible, where you know Judas was driven by greed. But again, I think there's a lot they do with the portrayal of Judas that is right, which is Judas turned christ in at heart because judah jesus was not the messiah judas wanted you know he wanted a political uprising he wanted to go to war and jesus keeps you know keeps thwarting him at every turn on that he does he, that's not going to be the way and i i have some issues with harvey Keitel's um brooklyn accents a really thick <laughs> brooklyn accents is judas uh and the really weird die job he has uh, i don't think he quite fits in that role um I think it's really weird that all the disciples basically have Brooklyn accents. Um, <laughs> a little odd, but uh, I understand what Scorsese's doing is it's he's making it relatable and kind of doing a bridge to the modern day. Um, but still, it sticks out. Yeah, and um, kind of in that vein, you know, so much of what's being done here is not to tell a historical story. Um, even the the setting the mm-hmm is not historically accurate you know they're not really showing they're not really showing first century israel they're showing kind of this version of it um that was created for this film you know as as we look at what's being done in this film is it okay to use the story of jesus in order to make a point um, that maybe is different from what we're used to in the Gospels or we're used to in, in Christian theology. Um, I think that's kind of the hard part here. 
because it's not simply, you know, we can examine all the details and we can say, oh, this thing is wrong and this portrayal is wrong. But what's being done is not to tell necessarily the story of Jesus that we know. And I, I think it's a little bit for us to compare it with the New Testament, you know, serve some purpose, but that's not really the point. The point is something different. And so I guess we kind of have to have to look at the question, is it okay for us to use that story and and to use Jesus to help us understand something maybe about ourselves? That's a stumper. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, is it okay? I mean, I'm you know that that's a tough question because you know there are questions you know we ask: Is it okay even to watch this? Is it okay to to like this, or uh, is something you know wrong with my belief because I like this? Um, I, but I, I actually think I, I don't think this is so much. I, I think there are elements where they are using the Christ story to look into our own, you know, our own struggles and doubts. But I think what it's doing more is shining a light on a very specific issue of the Christ story. And it's taking artistic liberty to do it, but it's it's shining a light on the whole issue of what did it mean for Christ to be God and man, like fully God and fully man. And by that, you get into issues of, well, what is what is our human struggle with God? What is, you know, why why don't we follow God? Why do we have a hard time, you know, giving of ourselves but I think it is okay to use the story for this because it's also a deeper story, like a wrestling with, well, what did this mean? You know, <laughs> if Christ was fully God and fully man, you know, that means, you know, I can get my head a little bit around the fully God part because, you know, it, it, I can just say, okay, he was perfect. He was strong. He was God. He was sovereign. But wrapping my brain around that question of what did it mean for him to be fully man, that's when you start asking questions, well, did he doubt? Yeah, Did it means fear? it means a lot Did of things he... that we don't like to think about with Jesus. Yeah, and I mean even things that I don't think are you know necessarily problematic, but just things that I think we feel it's a little too close to our situation. I, there's a line in here: he blushes when he when women look at him. He says, hmm. and you know, as an awkward teenager, someone who was an awkward teenager growing up, that you know, I that makes me a little uncomfortable because it's a little too close to me. Hmm. That you know, and I. I still have this problem saying Christ was like me. You yeah. know, there was any part of Christ like me, um, even though Hebrews tells us we have a high priest who is not unfamiliar with our sufferings. He, you know, Christ was human so that he could, you know, he went through what we went through and he overcame what we couldn't overcome. Um, so if it's okay to talk about, use this to talk about, um, I, I think. I don't personally have an issue with that because I can, you know, I, I think I have to wrestle with, well, where does it depart from what I'm, from what I believe, and what are the, uh, you know, what's the good I can draw from it, and are they doing this in a way that I, I feel they're approaching it seriously, and I feel this movie does, you know, for all the all the problematic things, I think they are illuminating very important themes, and they're doing it seriously, they're taking Christ seriously, and. You know, they they land far short of you know what I hold up to, but you know I, I still find find myself enriched. Other people might not, and I think it's a question of how willing are you 
to uh, let a movie provoke you? And how much do you want to be provoked? Or, or are you good? <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and I think it's a personal question. Everyone's got to answer. What about we've been talking a lot about the big ideas of the film. What about kind of just the uh, the filmmaking that's going on here? I think it's very different for Scorsese. Uh, he is he is one of my favorite filmmakers. I you know I love Taxi Driver is one of my top five movies ever. Um, I love Goodfellas. Uh, everything he's done, I've been a fan of. Um, this is yeah, I think Ebert pointed this out in one of his reviews. This is one of his few movies to be shot completely outdoors. Yeah. Um, Scorsese usually is in you know shooting in bars and nightclubs, and so it's it's very outdoors, very harsh. He originally was going to make this movie for a lot more money uh, under a different studio. I think Paramount was going to fund it, uh, and then the controversy got so tough that they cut his budget. He had to take it elsewhere, and he filmed it really quick because I mean there were you know people protesting, there were threats. So if you watch this movie, it feels very minimalist. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have big sweeping sets and you know giant special effects, but I think that does two things. Is one, everything has a kind of improvised feel to it that I really like. Um, I, the scenes, the two scenes that really stick out in that to me are um, the Sermon on the Mount, which I think is. You know, maybe tied with uh, the Gospel according to St. Matthew is my favorite depiction of the Sermon on the Mount, where it just, in that moment, you just, you know, they don't lean on word for word accounts from the Bible, but rather he paraphrases, you know, the intent of the Sermon on the Mount and a few other sermons. And it's just this moment where Willem Dafoe really seems to be, you know, coming up with it on the spot almost. Like the the impression is Christ is getting this divinely, you know right from God. And it feels like he gets so excited and it's so off the cuff. He's running around. He's, you know, he's trying to tell people these great, you know, these great truths and then almost surprised when they don't believe him or they think he's crazy. And I think it's great because it's so energetic and it really speaks to the urgency that, that Christ would have had, you know, imparting these truths in a, a very, uh, very compact time. Yeah. And I also love the, uh, you know, there's the scene at the wedding at Cana, where uh, it's just so offhanded, just just such a humid moment where they come up and they're like, "Hey, we're out of wine." He's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, go check, go check your, uh, go check your jars over there," and just kind of lifts his glass when they see that there's wine in there. And then yeah. after that, you get what we never see, which is Jesus dancing. And so I think there's this loose, energetic feel to it that I think um, it just really gives another facet of Christ's humanity we don't see in the movies. Um, but I think the minimalism also also means that when Scorsese goes for these really surreal images, that they stick out like really well. Um, you know, I did there's there's a theory that Catholic filmmakers are more visually driven than Protestants because you know, Catholics have a lot more imagery in their worship than Protestants tend to. Hmm. And there are a lot of moments where Scorsese really gives us some weird, weird things. Uh, lepers come out of the ground almost like zombies. Um, you know, there's the point where Jesus is tempted by Satan in the wilderness, and it's, you know, a lion. Um, there's a cloud of fire. Uh, there's one more thing, and it's slipping my mind. Uh, and then the other scene where, you know, Christ is basically telling his disciples, you know, to follow me, you need to eat my, you know, eat my flesh, drink my blood. He just pulls his heart out. 
And it's so surreal and striking. And Scorsese's so good with his images that they just kind of burn themselves into your head. And uh, I was reading today, Josh Larson, the um, he's, he's the co-host of the Film Spotting podcast. Um, he wrote a review of this very recently, and he didn't give it a positive review, but he did have a remark that the visuals were the strongest part. Uh, and quote, he said, quote, it reminds us of how whacked out and mystical the claims of scripture really are. Just, you know, we, we, we've heard these stories so many times that they're just, you know, they're rote, they're standard for us. And I think what Scorsese really does is pull out, no, 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 there was something big happening. You know, when you consider that lepers are being healed and Christ is telling his followers, you need to drink my blood. That's, that's strange stuff. That's, that's, you know, stuff you have to wrestle with. And, it really sticks out, and I think he makes those things fresh again. Yeah, even the things that have been um, that almost seem mundane because they've been per- portrayed in films over and over again. You know the uh, the entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. It's done so differently here. It's very confining. It's almost like Jesus is going down this very narrow hallway. And, uh, very claustrophobic. Yeah, it makes you uh, – so many of these things, it, it draws something different out of the scene. Um, the part with John the Baptist, which I think a lot of folks sort of had a problem with, but you know, it's something so weird and strange. And I think mm-hmm. it's amplifying probably the strangeness of John the Baptist and the people who are following him. It's it's making an artistic point about John the Baptist. Yeah, it, I mean it. It does stand out that he's there's something off about about him, or something uh, maybe off is the wrong word, but um, outside the normal of the way he's acting, which is what we see in scripture, just not to that extreme. Yeah. Um, I also I also love there's a, there's a really short moment, um, but I love this this little touch that he does when. All the disciples are getting ready to uh, to go to bed one night. Out, you know, they're following Christ around. They're outside uh, in the wilderness a little bit, and they're getting ready to go to sleep. And it's just this picture of the disciples as kind of kind of street guys. You know, they're not very pious. They're kind of dirty. They're worried about how their sheep are doing at home. But then they're getting ready to go to sleep, and one of them just says something like, "You know, scoot over." And the other says, "Shut up, Thomas." And I just I love that little touch that you know the disciples in this are messy, uh, which yeah. you know what what always kind of bugs me in in Jesus movies is the disciples are are holy and you know no they they were kind of kind of messy. So we kind of we kind of the film sort of goes through Jesus' life in a non traditional way, but. It's the it is the traditional story of Jesus till we get to the crucifixion and then something mm-hmm. it, it kind of takes us in a crazy direction where a little girl comes down and basically helps Jesus off the cross and it leads to a very different life than we know of Jesus and this this is probably where most of the controversy came from at least from the one part of Jesus being married and having children and sleeps with Mary Magdalene and then has, I guess, doesn't have children with her, but then ends up marrying. I didn't quite get if he's supposed to actually be married to both Mary and Martha. It's very ambiguous and strange. I think that's what's implied. <laughs> yeah. It's, 
it's it's kind of the anti it's a wonderful life moment um, <laughs> when the film basically turns into what would it be like if i never died what i kept hearing over and over and over was this is the movie that shows jesus having sex with mary magdalene that everyone even if they hadn't seen the movie they knew that this is what was in the movie this is the movie that was known for the scene where jesus has sex and when you say that that is a very troubling thing to talk about um and it's a very kind of offensive image i um again stephen graydon says that just just the thought of christ doing that whether it's happening or not is offensive um and it's definitely even even knowing the context that it does happen when you see the movie and you realize oh it's a hallucination it's it's the literal last temptation to come down from the cross and have a normal life even knowing that it's you know it's troubling it's disturbing because it's it's christ and he's doing something very you know carnal and i i guess for me in watching it um you know, having heard that beforehand, you imagine something different in the film maybe than actually happens. And for me watching it, it just seemed like – it seemed kind of like what's the big deal? This is very tame and natural. <laughs> you know, this is – it is something we're not used to. It's Jesus getting married, but but it's still – it's just ha- him being a normal human being. Um, it's not some display of carnality and that that we might have imagined. I, I agree. It's a very, I mean, as far as, you know, sex scenes in movies go, it's extremely tame. It wouldn't get the movie an R rating. Um, contextually, though, I think it, it it's even more offensive the more I think about it, um, which is this idea that it's not just that Christ is marrying mary magdalene and having sex with her it's the context of the scene is him imagining giving up the cross to do that to do what you've said very normal uh to live that normal life that's the temptation i think even uh mary and martha bring that up to him earlier in the movie why you should just have kids just to live in normal. that's what god wants just have kids mm, yeah. and i i think just the whole i i would wonder almost if they just made a movie that's a, a traditional jesus movie that said, oh yeah, Jesus was also married to Mary Magdalene, if that would still, if that would be as offensive as this idea of him imagining coming down from the cross. Having said that, though, I think it's supposed to be offensive. Um, you know, Scorsese, as, as we've said, he's a devout Catholic. He would know exactly what he's doing with these images. Um, he would know that just the simple image of a little girl pulling the nails out of Christ's arms and feet and kissing those wounds, which you know, Catholics consider to be holy, he would know that that's provocative. That's that's going to get him into trouble. And I think he knows this scene is supposed to be offensive. This scene is supposed to be troubling. Um, just the lighting on it, it, you know, it doesn't look natural. It looks off. The, there's a little undercurrent with the music that just kind of feels a little off. Everything in there just feels not right. And I think one of the troubles Scorsese tends to get into with a lot of his movies is people read depiction as endorsement um a few years ago he you know he did a movie called the wolf of wall street which is one of the movies that i have seen that i will never sit through again because i I just came out of that feeling like i needed a shower but i would argue you know as much as i sat through on that um i don't think for a second he's condoning anything that happens in the movie it's a very angry movie about 
the abuses of riches and greed. Um, so he puts things on screen, but you have to pay attention to the context. And I think he's doing this, wanting us to know this isn't right. This this is not right. This is a nightmare if this happens. And I, I think it goes even further on in that sequence when he Jesus becomes an old man and he's visited by Judas, who you know who rebukes him for for giving up God's plan. It turns into a nightmare at that scene. Um, and so I think the scene is upsetting, but I think it's it's purposefully so. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the intent is to make you un- unsettled. Um, I think that's just part of the reason of that. But um, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's that's my first thought on that. And I, I guess for, I mean, that that's one of these parts of the film that I almost feel like stirs up controversy, but it stirs up controversy because you didn't watch it till the end. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, because I, I, again, the whole, the whole other point of that is not just to show, you know, why Christ needed to die and how horrible it would be if he didn't die. It's to show the depth of temptation he was undergoing. I mean, it's the last temptation of Christ. And, um, you know, it's one thing to have Satan tempting Christ and, and saying, you know, turn the stones into bread or jump off this. But it's another to try and get us to understand, like understand that pull. Um, and I think it has to be visual for us to understand emotionally what he might have been going through. So you have this, you know, this crucifixion scene, which honestly, I mean, is not as graphic as something like the Passion of the Christ. Oh, yeah. But to me, is is even more visceral. Like there, we've spent you know three hours with this Jesus, and now he's being beaten and murdered, and you know it's hard to watch. It's very cringe-inducing. And then you do have this picture of things we would all consider something good: getting married, you know, having a family, and you just you start to understand a little bit more that pull that you know he might very well have been thinking at that time, you know come down from the cross you know people are telling him save yourself i have to wonder you know if jesus had a moment where he was thinking you know i i could just send this right now i could just come down right now the hebrews 4 15 says jesus was tempted in every way you know um and i think that we often think well yeah he was tempted in the desert but he i think he was tempted to complain about his disciples i think he was tempted to give in to fear i think he was tempted to take the easy way out we see him praying in the garden you know god if there's another way take this cup from me um you know so he was definitely i think aware of the fact that there were options if he didn't want to die and and i think that makes it so much more powerful seeing what he was tempted, and maybe, you know, in hindsight, Scorsese could have pulled a shot of, you know, of Jesus having sex, knowing it was going to probably rankle people, but I think it would rob it of a little bit of the power. Um, but it just reminds me of what C.S. Lewis said. Um, you know, he said, we never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means, the only complete realist. Um, and you have to show that he was he was tempted up until that last minute to not go through with this. And I think showing us that and then cutting back to that final shot on the cross where he just says it is accomplished with so much relief and joy, I, I mean, that makes that moment so much more powerful. Yeah. Just um, you know, this last section I think really 
affirms some theological ideas that we would probably recognize as truth. And I, I think a lot of times when we look at a film or a, a book or whatever it is, and we say that it's something that is heretical, we often associate that with something that is mocking Christianity or causing calling it untrue. But even even up until the end, I think it's very interesting that what's happening, you know, what's happening with the confrontation with the old disciples and right up until the very last scene is this affirmation that the death and resurrection of Jesus is necessary. Um, yeah. A lot of liberal scholars would say now that Jesus' resurrection was not a literal, literal resurrection but this movie affirms a literal resurrection, even if it's not shown, and that it's not just a spiritual thing or it's not just something that happened in the minds or the hearts of the disciples, but it's something that had to actually happen. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, it, I mean, it takes the story very seriously. It and does, I, yeah. I, you know, for, all the, for a lot of the controversy who think it's a movie that sets out to trash christianity i think it's actually a very serious affirmation of christianity in many ways and in many ways yeah very very off base in some parts but yeah it takes takes christ's message very seriously it you know there's that scene slightly before the confrontation with the disciples where he meets with saul and and saul basically said you know recognizes christ when when christ confronts him christ you know saul's preaching the death and resurrection of, of Christ, which in that hallucination never happened. And, you know, Jesus tells him, no, you're preaching a lie, you're preaching a lie. And Saul basically says, oh, yeah, you, but, you know, it, it, it's who are they going to believe? You know, it, it's the words that matter, it's the story that matters. Mm -hmm. But that follow-up shows, no, no, it's not just the story that matters. It's, you know, the death and yeah. resurrection. There is, there's no salvation without it. And you just see the world, like, going to hell outside that door. So what what do you think that that that's that scene with Paul um it seemed like something it seemed to me that something is being said there maybe about organized religion what do you think is going on there um, I I think it definitely is you know talking about people who who will you know their their biggest concern is not to preach truth their biggest concern is to control, um, yeah, he's certainly you know, he's certainly mimicking the the loud preacher, the televangelist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, well, it's a very uh, very big satire. Of that I mean, just the tone of uh, Henry Dean Stanton's voice in that, Harry Dean Stanton's voice in that is just you know just just a step away from satire. Is he's just this big booming you know voice raising. But yeah, it's very much – it doesn't matter if it's true. They're listening to what I say. And I do think it's interesting that that comes from Saul who basically says in uh, in the Bible that – you know the very opposite, that if Christ hasn't been resurrected, everything he's doing is in vain. Um, so I think that's an interesting – you know, kind of an interesting uh, incongruity with the character. Yeah, uh, it, but I, th I do think that is a statement. Yeah, and I think it, it is interesting that – Paul has basically – he has developed the theology of Christianity. 
And without Paul, all of the things that we talk about, Jesus' work on the cross, they aren't really developed. So what's portrayed in that part of the movie is the words that come out of Paul's mouth are not really any different from what he's saying in the New Testament. I don't know. Maybe it is just some of the intent. Um, I, I guess that's why I, I think it's it's kind of trying to characterize some some of organized religion as being rather false, just making up who Jesus is in order to, you know, maybe, maybe not even for false reasons, but to give people some hope and some answers that maybe the filmmakers think are not completely true. I honestly hadn't thought too much about that, but I definitely could see that that, you know, Scorsese could be intending that a bit, or definitely Schrader, too, who, you know, growing up in a Calvinist household would have heard, as someone who has grown up in a Calvinist household, you hear Paul preached a lot. So I I would understand maybe Schrader has his own statements to make there. Um, The thing is, I don't think anything Paul is saying would be untrue with the death and resurrection of Christ. So I think that kind of ties more into that too is his words you know in one context are very powerful and in another they're a lie they're the same yeah same words on either either side of the the dream yeah yeah i mean it's a very i mean that that last half hour takes some some very weird turns um but i I definitely I, i think there's something more to that that i just haven't thought more about well, we've been going for a while. Why don't we sort of, uh, sort of offer some final thoughts and some? Is this a is this a movie you recommend to people? What are your What are your last thoughts? Um, before we get to that, I just wanted to bring up the uh, the last shot of the movie. Okay. Because that that is just that's a moment that I remember the first time I, I watched the movie just kind of like took my breath away. Um, it's this moment where Christ dies on the cross and says it is accomplished. And then all of a sudden the film and the camera runs out and you just have this blinding light fill up the screen. And, um, you know, I looked that up and it, it turns out that was actually Scorsese says that was an error. They just ran out of film at that shot. Um, but I love that he kept that in because it is just this last moment that kind of speaks to this idea that the death of Christ splintered something in time. Hmm. and it's just this powerful shot where all of a sudden everything's changed and I, I think a little bit of the veil in the temple being ripped too i mean that the film is gone the you know the thing that presents the film to the audience is gone it, yeah. it, that barrier is gone yeah um so i i just want to bring that up because i think that's a fantastic shot and it yeah, just yeah. really underscored the power of that moment um oh well would i recommend the movie <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess it would depend on who I was talking to. I mean, there's the idea that it's not a perfect movie. Um, and, and there are things in there that offend me and I have problems with. And then as we've talked about, there are things in there that I really like and I really find meaningful. Um, so if it was just, you know, if I was talking to my dad and my dad, you know, was asking, oh, I heard about this Last Temptation of Christ movie, I would probably not recommend it to him because I know he goes to the movies to have a good time and he doesn't necessarily want something that's going to, you know, have to make him, you know, question some some thoughts and think hard about it. He wants the movie that is going to, uh, you know, tell him what he believes again. And I, I think it. You know, it, it's hard to recommend to a lot of people I know because I know they're going to be offended and I know they're not going to be able to get past, you know, some of the theological contradictions in there, some of the things that depart from our 
what what we believe. Um, I know they're not going to get past some of the content in there, and I would I would not begrudge them from saying, you know, I just can't do this movie. I, I think that's for some people that's a wise decision to make because I don't know if they have the. This sounds pretentious to say, but you know, as a film critic, I I kind of believe this. We're taught how to watch movies, and we're taught how to pick apart the text, and you know, look for context and and question everything that's in a scene. And I think some people just don't have that tool, and they're going to walk away offended um, for good reason, but they're not going to be able to look for those things in there that that might be salvageable or might be you know be worth wading through to uh, to turn over in their head a bit. Um, but I think if people are just looking for a perfect movie about Christ, they're not going to find it either. You know, if if you want a movie that's just a straight depiction of Christ, you know, with no errors. You're not going to find it anywhere. You're going to have something like, you know, I love um, the Gospel according to St. Matthew, which is basically a word-for-word uh, depiction of the Gospel of Matthew. There's no dialogue in there that isn't in the Gospel. And there are things in that movie that I think, well, that depiction is just a little bit off what I understand about Christ. You know, it's not perfect. I think the filmmaker's background plays role. He was a um, atheist, you know, Marxist. And I think, you know, you watch that depiction of Christ, that's a little, little less you know, on the holy side, a little less on the deity side, even though there's nothing different between that and and, and the Gospel of Matthew. Um, or you have the Passion of the Christ, which I think has some moments in there that are uh, very stirring to me and very, you know, have helped me think more about the death of Christ and meditate more on that. And it definitely serves as kind of a communion aid to me when I, you know, I think about it and I remember the death of Christ. But if you're not a Christian, if you're not someone who knows the story or believes it, I find that movie to be very inaccessible for people. Um, you know, it doesn't doesn't really you know provide an in into who Jesus was. It just shows you him dying for two hours. So I don't think any any depiction of Christ is going to be perfect. I think most kind of tilt towards a very divine, aloof Christ and. This movie tilts towards by a much more human Christ that I'm comfortable with to the point where I think it suggests he had some flaws that I might not agree he had. But I think if you're discerning and you can, you know, you can watch this and you know, you know, you're, you, you know what you believe and you can compare that to what's on the screen. But then you also allow yourself to ask some questions about things that, you know, maybe maybe you've just assumed for so long in this movie stirs up questions and, and, and provokes thoughts about what did it mean for Christ to be human? What's it mean for me to be human? Where was Christ different than I am? Where where are we similar? How can that help me in my faith walk? I think it's a very powerful movie for that. Um, despite all the flaws, I think there are things in that movie that have, you know, influenced my own faith and ask you know, I've made tough questions. Even even things in this movie have have helped me know more about who Christ wasn't. Um, you know, the things that are, that I find kind of off base in there, they've kind of confirmed to me more about what I know and believe about Christ through showing me things that I think are wrong, but I wouldn't have ever known to look for those without going through this movie. So, you know, if, if it's, a, if you're willing to take the time to think about it, to, you know, you're willing to allow yourself to maybe be offended a little bit, but are going to approach the movie seriously and on its own terms, I, I recommend it. It's, it's worth mulling over. It's worth having seen. Um, and it's worth conversations, honestly, like this. We're, you know, we're sorting out our own thoughts about the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I guess for me, I for the person who 
enjoys to have their ideas stretched, their theology stretched. I, I think it's it's ideal for that. Um, mm-hmm. And for the person who is is fairly comfortable and confident in their ideas about Jesus and the New Testament, for the person who is trying to figure out faith and trying to figure out Jesus and you know it's it's probably not the best. So I guess I'd I'd recommend it to some and not to others, kind of like you said. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point too. I mean, I, I it, it's not a movie that I would I would take if I'm trying to share my faith with someone who who doesn't know Christ or even someone who is just starting to consider, you know, Christ and his life, but they don't know much. I'm not going to sit them down and say, "Well, you should watch Last Temptation of Christ. You'll learn a lot." Um because I don't know that you will. I think you're going to either walk away confused or possibly with some really different ideas if you take this as, you know, as the definitive Christ story, because it's not. But I think think back to college, and I think back to my early 20s when I would sit around a coffee table with friends, and we'd have deep theological discussions. Um, It kind of makes me sad to know that a lot of them would kind of be hands-off about this movie, Um, kind of afraid to engage it, because they're afraid that's going to derail their faith, when I'm like, you know, this, this leads to some really good discussions, and we don't have to accept it all. But I think there are some things worthwhile to talk about, and we're, you know, you know your faith enough that you know this movie's not going to, you know, this this movie's not going to bring down Christianity, um, you know, it, but it might change, you know, soften some of your perspectives or give you some things to think about that I think really enrich in, you know, your understanding of the gospel. Yeah, and just um, reading the Bible in the way we've always read it, or just watching the Bible movie that we've seen so many times before doesn't stir up those conversations in the same way. Um, I I think one thing the movie does really well is get across this theme that Jesus isn't always who you want him to be. You know, his message isn't always the one that makes you comfortable. Um, There, you know, this, this is a Jesus who sometimes is preaching love and peace throughout the whole movie. And then the next scene he's talking about, you know, taking the ax and going to war against, against Satan and um you know to a point where his own followers start to be confused well well which message is it and i think it really speaks to this idea that you can't claim your own jesus you know he the the instant you think you have him figured out he's going to challenge your views so you know we live in a culture right now where we have you know we have a lot of conservatives saying you know Jesus is pro family values, pro America, pro uh, you know, pro gun. You know, he Jesus is the warrior who is going to lift up America. And I don't I don't think that's the Jesus I follow. On the other hand, you know, I, on other political sides, there's a Jesus who only speaks peace and love and forgiveness. And I don't know how to reconcile that with a Christ who said he came, you know, to divide family against family. Yeah. Um who who was very adamant, you know, very loving and forgiving of everyone, but very adamant in talking about sin. Um, and I think this movie gets that a point across very well, which is, you know, Jesus is who he is, you know, and, and I don't think that Jesus in this movie is necessarily the correct Jesus, but 
that point is very, very, very well made. Jesus is not just who you want him to be or who you expect him to be. He's going to challenge you. He's going to, you know, you, he's dangerous. And, you know, it gets into that idea of what Dorothy Sayers said, where we've paired the claws of the Lion of Judah, you know, to make Jesus safe and relatable. And, you know, I, Derek Webb uses the phrase safe for the whole family. Um, but, you know, he's challenging. He's dangerous. And I think any time I approach something about Christ that challenges me and makes me uncomfortable, I feel like I'm getting a little bit closer to understanding him more because there are some things where I need to be offended um, in in right ways, in, in godly ways. I need to be offended so that I can let go of my own assumptions about Christ and you know making him in my own image. And uh, I think this movie is movie challenges some of my my assumptions yeah and i guess the other thing it does as well is it it allows us to um begin to understand more what it means for jesus to be fully human which Mm -hmm. we say the phrase fully human but i don't think we honestly apply that to jesus very often um and when we do it makes us very uncomfortable yeah, it does because I think we relate. We, you know, we know ourselves too well. We know that you know part of our humanity is this sin we struggle with. This, you know, this badness we struggle with, which Christ didn't have. But does that mean he never doubted? Does that mean he never worried? Does that mean he never, you know, struggled with the, you know, knowing what the right thing to do was, or struggled with loving people so much that he didn't want to leave them? Um, and it's there that you st- I think you start to see a more vibrant picture of Christ comes out that's probably closer than we get in some movies. Uh, this is a Christ who lives and breathes and you know dances and laughs and gets mad when you know the t- the temple he goes to pray in is turned into a uh, turned into a business. Um, I-, I think the film probably goes a little too far in some directions to humanize him. But I think it does more than a lot of movies do, which I appreciate. Um, it, it gives a three-dimensional Christ, which we don't get in the uh, typical flannel graph uh, Bible movies. Yep. Have, have you read the book Lamb, Christopher Moore? I read that about ten years ago, and I kind of feel about that book about, about the same way I feel about The Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah, um, I think it's – A lot of things of were – you're thinking of it during this, and I think it's that humanizing thing once again that yep. it, it makes us uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. I had a friend recommend that to me about ten years ago, and I remember reading it. And there were times I would call her up and be like, "Why are you letting me read this book? This book <laughs> is, you know, this, this book is really offending me." And then there are other times where I read something, I'm like, "I'd call her up. Oh my gosh, I can't believe they put this in the book. This is so beautiful." And I, I, that's. That's the wrestling I feel with the last temptation. There is stuff that offends me. There is stuff that I find extremely beautiful. Well, good thoughts. I don't want to go too too long. We probably could talk about some parts for for a long time. <laughs> there are still there are still bits of the movie that stand out to me that you know I'd love to to talk about. What what does that mean with somebody? But. Yep, and I know I'm going to have someone listen to this, and they're going to be like, well, Chris, what about this, this, and this in the movie? How could you like this? And I'm going to have to go back and go, like, oh, yeah, I had a note on that, but uh, I didn't, I, you know, I just didn't think to talk about that because I, I don't endorse this. Or, yeah, I thought this was really good. And it's definitely you know a movie that I'm going to be thinking about and discussing for a long time. So. We'll be waiting for the, the, the film review. <laughs> I, I am thinking about getting something up on my blog about it. There you it. go. 
All right. Well, well, thanks for chatting. This is, uh, I, I think, been very interesting, exciting, and, and hopefully some listeners who've seen it have enjoyed it and some who haven't were thinking they'd like to watch it or they wouldn't like to watch it. Yeah, next time we'll stick to a Disney movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Chris. If uh, folks want to hear more of your reviews and some of the stuff you do, where can they look? Uh, a couple different places. They could uh, listen to the podcast I do with some friends called it's my favorite. It's found at itsmyfavorite.podbean.com. It's more of a pop culture podcast. Uh, for more discussions, kind of like we've been having, I, I would recommend my blog, uh, criticisms.com. I kind of write more about movies and theology there. Um, I also do movie reviews for localcelebsdetroit.com. And you can find me on Twitter at you can find me on Twitter at criticisms as well. Great. You can see my stuff at jasonweedle.com, and please check out the other Media Scorch podcasts as well, um, some of our other interview shows, as well as the other shows where we look at some films. Thanks for listening. 